Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Okay. That's oh, true. no, you guys are full of it. Artie is right. This guy's got an attitude. An attitude is good. I mean, it's the kind of guy walks into a room. His dick has already been there for two minutes. Yeah, he passes the eye candy test. He's got the looks. He's ready to play the part. He just needs to get some playing time. I'm just saying. His girlfriend is a six at best. Look, if we're trying to replace Giambi, this guy could be it. I agree. Yes. Damn, Billy, was that a suggestion? Guys are just talking. Talking la 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 like this is business as usual. It's not. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. Well, we're very aware of the problem. I mean... Okay, good. What's the problem? Look, Billy. We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace... Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No, nope. what's the problem, Barry? We need 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. Ooh, I'm going to go get my popcorn because the drama here is going to be so good. Everybody and welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today's film in this episode is going to be sports. It's going to be sports. No, that's not the title of the movie. The film we're talking about today is going to be Moneyball. Oh yeah, gotta love fictional stories based on non-fiction books on real people. Oh, yes. Love it. So sports drama, of course, Moneyball, about the time shortly after Billy Bean took over the Oakland A's as general manager and getting so close to a World Series berth. So close. We follow Billy here trying to make an Oakland A's team on the cheap and using statistics. And of course, as a scientist and my guest host today, being an amazing statistics professor, you got to know, you, you got to know, we're going to be talking about sports statistics here. And not just any sports statistics, sports statistics that will get you going oh yeah those kinds of statistics these are the ones that win championships i guess so we'll explore all of that in this episode just a little bit more background for you to put in perspective that last bit of rip roaring enthusiasm i just gave the movie like i said is based on a book the movie came out in 2011 the book came out in 2003 
So the the book is also called Moneyball. So Moneyball was directed by Bennett Miller with a script by Steve Zalian or Zalian and Aaron Sorkin with this with the the broad uh story for for the screen written by D- Dan Shervin. The book came out in 2003 as I said and it was written by Michael Lewis and it was the account of the 2002 Oakland Athletics baseball team trying to field a championship caliber team for cheap because they had the smallest budget in the MLB at the time out of 30 different ball clubs, the smallest budget trying to compete against big teams like the New York Yankees, who always have had a big budget. I think it was like four times as big as Oakland, the Oakland A's in uh, the end of the 2001 season or the or uh, shortly before the 2002 season. It was like it was like four to one. And so it sagas a real person by the name of Billy Bean, uh, who was the general manager at the time, try to put this team together with the help of pretty much Jonah Hill. That's it. It was it was him and Jonah Hill. It was Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Uh, so yeah, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill are in this movie. Brad Pitt stars as Billy Bean, and Jonah Hill stars as Peter Brand. Uh, Peter Brand, his uh, assistant general manager, who has the statistical and data analytic background to start using a set of metrics called sabermetrics. So I'm excited to talk about the potential of this movie, the way that it used uh, great statistical techniques and wove them into the drama, pitting experience and intuition against a statistical technique is a scientist's interesting dream. Um, now, I'm not going to say fantasy. I'm, I'm, you know, it's a run of the mill dream that we all have. And, uh, you know, just to, to, to truly show the difference in a research methods sense. So let's jump into the psych concepts of Moneyball. My guest host today is Dr. Jessica Hartnett. Jess is a social psychologist by training and graduated from Northern Illinois University in 2009. Since then, she's been at Gannon University, a small liberal arts college in Erie, Pennsylvania. She teaches so many stats classes. Y'all, it's not even funny. All the time. She's currently writing a stats book, I mean, with all of those classes, right, for Norton, was the chair of a Society for the Teaching of Psychology Task Force that was focused on stats literacy. I heart that. Gives lots of talks about stats, and she blogs about stats. She'll talk way more about that last thing at the end of the episode. I hope she gushes about her blog. So stay tuned for that. Ooh, Jess, welcome to the show. Hey. Nice to be here. Great to see you, Alex. Yes, I, it's amazing to see you. I, I am happy to have you on. My first question for lots of guests 
is usually, how is it going in your classes this semester? It's going all right. I have no complaints. Um, it's been a nice, mild winter, which honestly, out here on a great mm. lake in the Northeast has a big impact yeah. on everyone's moods. <laughs> uh, so that's been going all right. Um, and I'm teaching many stats classes. Yes, and also, I was going to um, ask. Yeah, I teach honors, condensed online, and regular stats. And we just had a really good talk in my honor stats class about times when, like, the government's been able to do some really shady research mm -hmm. because of crisis situations. And just overall talking about how science can be used to put this veneer of, like, reliability and safety onto research and ideas. Oh, sure. When it is yeah. And deserve. Yeah, it's problematic because I want my students to have their eyes open, but I'm afraid, like, we should all wear tinfoil hats together at the end of the semester. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, dude, the NFL, dude, Exxon, <laughs> dude, like the big sugar, like backer, like everyone has been lying to you. But be open minded and support science, right? Yes, indeed. We can do both. We uh -huh. can walk and chew gum. Hopefully we can. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I think we are pretty doomed, which is where the tinfoil hats come in. It is. So as a teacher of psychology, mm -hmm. my next question for you is a uh, pretty standard fare for the show. Do you use film in teaching? And if you do, uh, how do you use it? I don't use too much film. Do I, I do use TV episodes. Okay. TV episodes. That's a close second. Yes. Parks and Rec. Okay. Is... Yeah, I teach industrial organizational psychology. Yeah. So needless to say, the the workplace dramas has been a gold mine for me in those IO classes. Yeah, so I can imagine. Um, workplace dramas. <laughs> right, dramas, dramedies, largely comedies. Um, but even in Motivation and Emotion, we watched an episode in which um, Leslie Nope was really pushing for her um, underlaying April to go into a government job, and that mm -hmm. was not where she yeah. wanted to go. And you're able to talk about like human motivation within that. What about the office? I haven't done that as much, although it's funny how the 18 to 22 year olds and they love do. It. Uh, I have noticed that as well. They do. It's yeah, I love it, and it's almost like we liked it because we were like in the workplace and saw the humor, but now I don't know what college students are taking away from it like the like is it all like a farce to them is it like the absurdity of adulthood maybe like there's a snapshot in time of like a lack of cell phones or ubiquity i guess right. and a time before everything seemed so desolate <laughs> and un right unrelenting i guess i don't know it is. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it has great little vignettes of comedy, too. So I think it's easier to watch and digest in small chunks. Yeah. And I my deep preference at Gannon, I can either teach like 55 minute long classes or an hour 25. And mm -hmm. my energy level is just much better with those 55 minute long classes. Oh, yeah. Those Same. sitcoms are well suited to being able to watch a whole episode, but introduce the episode and also have a discussion afterwards. So that leads me into the follow-up, which is, so how do you use, because I, like I said, TV shows, close second. 
Uh, not as good as film, in my opinion, but that's the show you're on. <laughs> um, but how do you like to use and 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 what is the motivation for you to use these TV shows in your classes? Most of the time, it's almost like spot the theory. Okay. Like I'll find an episode that really illustrates, like I was saying, motivation and emotion theories or in social mm -hmm. or I.O., and sometimes there's a worksheet that accompanies them where I want them to pay attention to the show, but I want them to be able to apply what we've learned in class to the show. And that's yes. almost always what I do. So it's mostly uh, the, like worksheet, putting putting their thoughts down on paper and then having the discussion about those worksheets. Yeah. And it's not always a mm -hmm. worksheet, but sometimes I give them like a prompt like this is what you're going to think about or talk about in small groups. So look for examples of this kind of thinking or this kind of application, uh, things like that. Um, it's usually pretty guided um, and pretty specific when I'm using a whole episode in a class. And how do they do? They like it. I think that they enjoy it and they actually like laugh at the shows and enjoy the shows and Parks and Rec again, it's getting a little bit older, but so many people on that cast have gone on to do interesting things mm -hmm. that the students like can still identify those people and know who they are. Um, so that's been working for me so far. Um, <laughs> but there's other shows I feel like, especially well with IO psychology and leadership. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of IO psychology in the, the movie we're about to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm friends with like Cy and Gordon who wrote that book mm -hmm. about uh, the Marvel comic universe. Yeah. We had IO them on psychology. the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I just think that there's more of that. I kind of, I'm just trying to, okay. So when I'm in the classroom, speaking of using movies, nothing makes me feel older than when I can't figure out the volume in front of my class. <laughs> okay. Like, I can see YouTube, that. YouTube Or is it the computer? Sure. Or is yeah. it the and nothing makes me feel older? And I want to make sure that I'm using examples that the students are really delving into. And I feel like maybe I need to mine into the Marvel Comic Universe episodes that are really show a lot of leadership and mentorship and groups working together. Um, I think I might need yeah. to update broadly in order to reach the youth. It's funny that you say that because I <laughs> am steadfastly. Uh, maybe to a fault holding on to classic films that I show my my students because every once in a while I will toss at them like a uh, a you know Akira Kurosawa Rashomon or something like that and they're like oh no I have to watch a black and white movie and read yeah nope <laughs> so, old man swan what he yes. <laughs> what is he showing us this almost 100 year old movie it's like oh my gosh it's not that old i'm not that old oh don't but somebody uh referenced the late 1900s to me the other day so i'm i'm still a little shook <laughs> from that <laughs> but that's uh, but that's awesome i i i I, I sort of use that question as we are going to talk about um, ways in which uh, data is sometimes better than expertise and intuition. Um, I, I'm secretly mining all of these episodes for uh, anecdata, basically. Um, You're right. Say that this is this is the data that I have from, and you can't tell me that. Watching movies is not science because it is. No, I just think that you just never know what's going to allow an idea to stick in a student's head. 
And sometimes I feel like when we're yeah. in the middle of teaching a stats class, especially like an elective class in mid-semester, it feels like it's just stats jeopardy. And is that what we really want our students to walk away with? Or do we want them to walk away with a new way to kind of understand the world and interpret the world? Mm -hmm. And I feel like if they just have a bunch of stuff on index cards that they can remember, that's one kind of learning. But if they can start to see these bigger concepts in movies and memes and TV shows, mm -hmm. I think it sticks better. I, I think that there's real room for true pedagogy to come out of yeah. being able to make the abstract concrete with compelling stories. That is my entire talk in a nutshell <laughs> from, mm -hmm. from APS last, uh, last May. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And that is my, one of my pedagogical goals moving forward is to bring more people into that world and open their students' eyes and minds, you know, so with that in mind, one of the things that we are combating is experience and intuition when trying to train new scientists. And so I, I asked you to be on the show and um, then you got put on the spot for what movie <laughs> to pick. And um, I, I don't remember the exact exchange, but um, you said Moneyball. So. What do you think? Why did you this say Moneyball? This was literally the only statsy movie I could think of. <laughs> well, oh, like, my God. There's some documentaries out there and stuff, but that's not your jam. And mm, Nope. Um, also, I have to say, last year, the Mets had a really good run, and my mm. husband's a lifelong Mets fan, so I'm kind of starting to appreciate baseball and the stats behind baseball at a deeper level. Right around, like, cause, right. yeah, we would have talked about this, like, yeah, back during, like, the end of the baseball season, like, it would have been, like, just after um, the World Series when we were talking in mid-October about mm -hmm. this. So, right. yeah, that was all fresh in my brain. <laughs> I loved it. It was so good because, I, I mean, it completely passed me by. And on rewatch, I'm so glad uh, I rewatched it because I probably saw it when it came out, you know, a decade ago or whatever it was. So I'm glad I rewatched it because it, with this new lens that I take toward movies th that I'm thinking about for the podcast or have gotten recommendations for. It always surprises me how much more I appreciate the movie. So I'm so glad that you mentioned this one because not only is baseball my favorite sport, um, and I'm so glad that you are learning and getting fascinated by baseball all on your own. I know. Did you realize it's pitchers and catchers day at spring training as we record this? It's very, it's meant yes. to be. You're meant oh, to do this today. Oh, good. So mm -hmm. good. Because pitchers and catchers, for those who don't know, are the first to show up to spring training camp. So they show up first. And then I think in a couple of a uh, couple more weeks, uh, uh, position players show up. And then spring training games start up. Oh. Yes, they do. And that means warmer weather, Jess. That means it warmer does. weather. Thankfully, and the students will perk right up, right? Right. Billy, we got 38 home runs and 120 RBIs. Guys, we're still trying to replace Giambi. I told you we can't do it. And we can't do it. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. Recreate him in the aggregate. The what? Jambi's on-base percentage was 477. Damon's on-base, 
324. And Almeida's was 291. Add that up and you get... Do you want me to speak? When I point at you, yeah. 1092. Divided by three. It's 364. That's what we're looking for. Three ball players, three ball players whose average OBP is... 364. Wait a minute, that doesn't look right, doesn't come out right. That's right, Artie. Billy, yeah. you gotta carry the one. Right? Billy, that's just down. Yeah. Who's that? That's Pete. Does Pete really need to be here? Yes, he does. Okay, here's who we want. Number one, Jason's little brother, Jeremy. Oh. Oh. Billy, that's trouble. Uh, Billy, look, if, if I, yeah, Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field, and we know that what he can't do on the field. And, uh, get a little thicker on the waist, yeah. You know, and his reports about him on the weed and the strip clubs. Well, his on-base percentage is all we're looking at now. And Jeremy gets on base an awful lot for a guy who only costs 285000 Jeez, Billy. Number two. David Justice. Oh, no. Not a good idea, Billy. Old man justice? Why is that? Steinbrenner's so pissed at his decline that he's willing to eat a big chunk of his contract just to get rid of him. Anybody exactly. Ten years ago, David Justice, big name. Been a lot of big games. He's going to really help our season tickets early in the year, but we get into dog days in July and August. He's lucky if he's going to hit his weight. Billy, his legs yes. are gone. Billy. Uh, he's a defensive liability, and I question whether the bat speed's still there. His legs are gone. Grady. We'll be lucky to get 60 games out of him. Why do you like him? Because he gets on base. So, uh, as I mentioned to the listener in the intro, this this movie is based on real people and <laughs> real-ish events, uh, at least on the sports end of stuff, that Sorry? happened in at the end of 2001 and through the 2002 season. And <laughs> we follow Brad Pitt, Billy Bean, uh, trying to get a championship caliber baseball team put together on shoestring. Yes. Shoestring budget. Um, and he doesn't like what's what's going on in the clubhouse during December meetings because they're losing three really good players. And mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, Jason Giambi aside, who's probably doing steroids, Johnny Damon and the other guy, oh, Jason Isringhausen. Um, it's just like it doesn't really matter. They were good players in 2001, but not the greatest, as we learn from Jonah Hill's character. So, Jess, um, for the listener, let's let's have a discussion here about what's happening in the December meetings with the scouts and Billy Bean as the general manager's clubhouse. And then compare that to what happens next in the movie, which is bringing in uh, Peter Brand as uh, his assistant GM. So this is a stancy movie, but I think there's a lot of IO in it as well. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because one step in IO and problem solving is to kind of identify your weaknesses, identify what's going on, um, and then train people or hire people based on that needs assessment. And they have this needs assessment where it is kind of 
this visceral graphic way of saying it, but Brad Pitt's character is talking about how they're almost like organ donors for like the bigger teams, right? Exactly. They're coming in, they're losing their three big players. And as they're discussing this needs analysis, all of these old hands at baseball, and they get more into it in the book, um, said everyone about every movie, about every book ever, right? But they get into the book a little more about in the back room in these December meetings, it's lots and lots of former players. So mm-hmm. there's people that are dedicated to the sport and know the sport. And on the surface level, they're definitely experts, but they only have one way of looking at it. And that's replacing these three big names. So they're drawn towards more big names, but the money is not there. The money is not there to afford these players. And then the interesting thing that just kept uh, hitting me throughout this meeting was the way that they were talking about yeah. these prospects. Right. So one of the things that I heard was, you know, he's he he's uh he's got an ugly girlfriend. Yeah. And people are like, what? It means he has no confidence. And that's like the only like that's the least offensive, like of what they're <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and again, that's like they're the subject matter experts, right? They know what they're talking about. But again, they're talking about this idea of you want like a Mickey Mantle, you know, you want a baby, you need like this big famous athlete or else everything's going to go wrong. And then um, Peter Brandt, who's based on, I get Paul De Podesta was the actual human in the book. And in reality, yeah. but he didn't want his name brought up. Don't know why. Um, but he was saying no, like he was addressing it from a totally different way that was very data driven, mm-hmm. but wasn't based in him having any experience with baseball. Right. And um, the uh, the book of Sabermetrics written by Bill James never played a game of baseball in his life and he's like this is these are the stats you need to look at to field a good team to build a championship level team but didn't like that they didn't like that he didn't have the experience that these guys had right and it wasn't intuitive and they had won games in the past and they had done well that season but they they failed to get you know win the world series or anything right. um so they had a lot of trouble realizing there might be another kind of expert in there um and someone who would be able to look at spreadsheets of data seemed really counterintuitive and again it's even interesting now because i feel like People kind of get that there's data everywhere and data is a big deal, right? Like if you're in a white collar position, like 20% of your day is a spreadsheet, right? Sure. Um, But it was really counter to the overall culture, their leadership, their training um, in order to bring in Peter Brandt, who was really looking at the data. Yeah. And and the drama aspect of this i i guess is the are the fl- fa- flashbacks to billy right. bean as a young high school player yeah um who was really good and the scouts are having a meeting with their parents and and billy to sign a contract for the draft to not go to stanford to not go to college And they were talking about what they reference in the movies as well as intangibles, right? He's a five-tool player. Well, what does a five-tool player mean? Well, it's having the ability to hit 
pitch, field, etc. Right, and uh, he's got a classic swing or a clean stroke, and he's gonna make it really big in the big leagues. And they were talking it up, and Billy didn't do a good job in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And so we got this like intangibles aspect, and I, I, I'm glad somebody said it because I like I wrote it down, and then somebody said it a little bit later in the movie, and I was like, yeah, these are all these are what the scouts were looking at. They ha- they have these decades of experience, but that's it. And they have decades of experience that are based on, like, how can we solve this problem if we have buckets and buckets of money? And problems suddenly become very easy to solve when you have buckets and buckets of money, right? So they are completely ignoring this huge piece of their problem. And Billy's not taking any of it. No. And then Peter Brandt comes back that it's not about having, like, one outstanding player, two outstanding players. And when he says it, it sounds completely intuitive but it wasn't intuitive at the (laughs) point where you literally can't win a baseball game if people can't get on base so stop looking at anything but whether or not a person can get on base because you don't need someone who can get a home run every time you need a bunch of consistent players that are going to inch their way around the field and eventually score and you need to work with that so you need to look at what players are good and affordable that have been overlooked and instead of i don't know it was interesting when they have the shots of like the december meetings that they have dry erase boards and magnets and they have like Mm -hmm. all of this information so they can see it all at once Mm -hmm. and in my brain like even looking at that like my brain just wants if it can be a spreadsheet it should be a spreadsheet like yes. and why aren't other people making tables? And that's what Peter Brand was doing, right? Yes. And he wasn't even working with the Oakland A's at the time. No. Uh, Billy Bean spots him at the the Indians, which uh which worked out in his favor because it's an entry level job and now he's an assistant GM. It's kind of amazing uh when you think yeah. about it. Hello. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. What do you do? I'm special assistant to Mark Shapiro. So what do you do? Mostly player analysis right now. Been on the job long? First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. Wow, congrats. Thank you. (laughs) First job. Whose nephew are you? Why does Mark listen to you? <laughs> uh, I don't think uh, I don't think he does very often. He just did. Well, in that circumstance, I think he was more listening to Bruce than myself. Mm. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. I don't give a rat's ass what your name is. What happened in there? What happened in that room? I'm not quite sure what you're asking me, Mr. Bean. What did you tell Bruce? Just told Bruce I like Garcia. You like Garcia. Why? 
Why? There is an epidemic failure within the game to understand what is really happening. And this leads people who run Major League Baseball teams to misjudge their players and mismanage their teams. I apologize. Go on. Okay. People who run ball clubs, they think in terms of buying players. Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. You're trying to replace Johnny Damon. The Boston Red Sox see Johnny Damon and they see a star who's worth $7.5 million a year. When I see Johnny Damon, what I see is, is an imperfect understanding of where runs come from. The guy's got a great glove. He's a decent leadoff hitter. He can steal bases, but is he worth the $7.5 million a year that the Boston Red Sox are paying him? No. Baseball thinking is medieval. They are asking all the wrong questions. And if I say it to anybody, I'm, I'm ostracized. I'm, I'm, I'm a leper, so that's why I'm, I'm cagey about this with you. That's why I, I respect you, Mr. Bean. And if you want full disclosure, I think it's a good thing that you got Damon off of your payroll. I think it opens up all kinds of interesting possibilities. Um, and so you, we've got Peter doing the, the data part, and this leads mm -hmm. to strife in the clubhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about the, the on-field manager in just a second because played by the amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman. But he comes and butts heads with this, uh, I guess, head scout. I couldn't uh, – I, I barely caught the name, and I don't know if I caught a title – uh, that he had, but he he seemed like the head scout, and he was like, "We've been doing this for years, Billy, and you're trying to do this this statistics thing. That's not how baseball works." Um, and and, and it ends up getting fired. It gets his words thrown back in his face, which I think is a good movie comeuppance. But Jess, I, I'm I'm curious if you've heard about the new rules that are going yeah. to be put into place um so bases are getting bigger for one mm -hmm. thing right yep and so i'm i'm curious how this conversation now shifts because the rules are changing significantly toward sure uh offensive play rather than defensive play right and you have baseball players like even like 22 year olds who've been playing the game for like 10, 15 years with mm -hmm. these different rules that yeah. require a different kind of play. I mean, well, it kind of makes me think so on base percentage became this big new, let's just call it an outcome variable, right? This is sure. that which we need. And it wasn't always an outcome variable. It's sometimes more of an IV, right? To see who to pick up. And right. then it was this great advantage for the A's until everyone started doing it, right? Exactly. And once everyone started doing it, it wasn't such an advantage and everyone had their eyes on the diamonds in the rough, right? Mm -hmm. Now what's going to happen because what 
So it's all data, right? And this makes me think of like data in real life where there's so much data that you're sitting on that your organization has, right? Mm -hmm. And no one's found the right like pattern in there, right? You know, Mm -hmm. someone, they need to do the correlation. They need to do the AI in order to figure out, well, does this mean people that steal bases all the time? Is that all you should recruit now? Or what's the other rule that you can't move around the outfield based on different players? Yeah, you can't do um, sh- uh, big shifts. So the so infield players mean- can't stack on a one side of second base anymore. Right. So does that mean if you have like a totally erratic hitting style that is not like the norm? Like, does that mean that people are going to position their outfield at like the modal spot in order to perform best? And Mm -hmm. if you are a hitter who can't be predicted, I mean, that would already be an advantage, but it would be an even larger. It's just going to be interesting to me that sabermetrics is going to get thrown on its ear. Yes. And 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 my point of bringing up the new rules uh, to all of the baseball fans that listen to this podcast to bring up the new rules, it it goes back to what those old timers of baseball were saying is that we've been doing this a long time and we're focusing on the big hitters, the spectacle, and we're kind of back to the spectacle, right? We've had this run of great data uh, and great data usage to get teams to where they need to be. Billy Bean took, uh, had the Red Sox. I don't want to say he took it, took them, but he got the Red Sox to within two years, a world series after, not winning it since 1918. So, I mean, it was a successful strategy. But as you said, everyone started using it. And now we're back to the big spectacle. And looking yeah. for those intangibles. Because we measure everything now. You're, you've, you watched baseball mm-hmm. at, at several points last season, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got stats for everything. And now we have like AWS, uh, Amazon uh, Web Services, just giving Mm -hmm. you every bit. And so I feel like baseball has now reached a point of data saturation. Well, and it even makes me think, too, with like they're they're going to start like getting rid of refs, like they're going to let computers make the calls because we can train them. Like it, the training can happen. So if we can train like all of these hits, and that's another thing that I thought was interesting with Moneyball, how they're able to figure out like for each individual player, like you don't hit it when it's in the bottom right of the square. Like this Mm -hmm. is what you mess up on. And I can show you like it's a 37% versus a 50%. And we were talking before the, the audio went on that that's like success for a statistician or for a social scientist, right? Yep. Like, if you can find out the small portion of some variance, and if you can explain that, that's pretty exciting in the social sciences, especially depending on the sort of question you're you're asking. But they didn't care. Like, and it was just interesting that that was actually well received by the players. And I don't know how fictionalized that is. But if like, let's let's just call him Peter Brandt, nerd boy. Mr. Mm-hmm. Yaley, Mr. Mr. Spreadsheet. <laughs> Mr. Like they Spreadsheet, had him exactly. having like these level conversations with players where he was saying, like, this is where you're awesome and this is what you need to work on. And he could like literally just show, here's the math. This is not my intuition. Mm-hmm. This isn't me as a Yaley telling you a professional athlete what to do. I'm just saying that this is this is the pattern. What do we learn from the pattern? 
I wonder if um and, and I don't really know any baseball players uh even <laughs> I know some baseball players obviously of my students but I don't really right. have baseball conversations with them. And I wonder how many of them inherently accept the idea of statistics driving their uh playing or in practicing and whatnot and, and they're I guess theorizing about the game and how to be better because the main one of the main stats is batting average right right and it tells it it tell it it tells the player how often they will likely hit a ball somewhere mm-hmm. right so I think I wonder if they have that in uh into well, to use intuition here t- intuitive sense uh or fondness for data. So anecdotally, um I was talking to baseball players about that and they like and it came up in motivation and motion where my student athletes talk about goal setting with their coaches. Mm-hmm. And goal, I don't mean like goal, I mean <laughs> yeah. like just to be clear, I don't I'm like mixed <laughs> sports metaphors, right? Great. Um, it would have been it would have been fine if you were mixing sports metaphors. My bad. But yes. My bad. Um but he was saying that like he had sat down with his coach and like the coach wanted to set goals with everyone. Mm-hmm. And he was able to say like, and in some ways, like it must be so hard to be a student athlete and to feel like you're being criticized. But if like data is being used to criticize you, I wonder if that's easier to take mm. or yeah. you can't argue against it. And anyway, this mm. one student said that it resulted in, they talked to their coach about stealing bases and that was their goal. Okay. That they were stealing fewer bases than their teammates. And this was the goal and they worked on it. And going back to the IO, it's all about a needs assessment, right? Like you figure out Mm -hmm. what your employer needs and you train them, which is another piece of the puzzle where they were like hiring people that were minor league players or college players and retraining them for totally different positions. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about that. I want to take a quick break and we'll come back with Dr. Jess Hartnett talking Moneyball. Hey, friends, Astrid here. You may know me from such films as Crazy Rich Asians, White Oleander, or How to Train Your Dragon. Wait, what what was that? I wasn't in those. I wasn't in those. Okay, that wasn't me. Ooh, okay, well. Astrid here. You may know me as the other half of your favorite podcast host, Dr. Alex Swan, and I'm here to shout out listeners like you. Thanks for supporting the pod. Whether that's buying merch, sharing episodes on social media, or making donations, you can visit cinemasightpod.swansite.com to get your hands on previous episodes, or if you're like me, just another hoodie because we live in the Midwest. We appreciate you. Now, back to the show. And we are back with Dr. Jess Hartnett talking Moneyball. Film came out in 2011, so it's a little more than a decade old. 
uh, about the based on, I should say, the true story of the 2002 uh, Oakland A's baseball season. And Jess, before the break, you had mentioned uh, and, and you had sprinkled throughout that first segment uh, IO stuff going on here because we're talking in an organization, uh, baseball teams or organizations that have hierarchical structures and all of that and a lot of moving pieces. We we tend to not focus on many of those moving pieces. We just kind of focus on Billy Bean as the general manager and things that affect him. So what were the IO things? And and please uh, just share everything that you saw, because th- this was stuff that I didn't recognize. And I've ha- recently had on a bunch of IO psychologists to talk about movies. So what were the IO things that you found in this movie? Um, a lot of it had to do with, again, that need assessment and figuring out what does your organization actually need mm-hmm. and how can you train the right people? And it's not about hiring the biggest name or the best person. It's hiring a person that can do the job well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and hiring a reliable person that is trainable and will do the job well. And I thought that was interesting towards the end. Um, they were talking to David justice, who was the supposed diamond in the rough, like writing yeah. out the end of his career. Right. And he did yeah. really well. And it was interesting too, that they hired him on, not just because they could get him at a pittance because he was late in his career, but they needed to train him to be a leader of the team as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And there was some conflict there, but even towards the end, they show Peter Brand giving David justice some stance based ideas. And I don't know, it's really interesting. And it's a sensitive thing with training where you're asking people to change something about who they are and no one mm-hmm. likes to be told that they're not doing things right. And then you have to assess the change to make sure that the change took and that whatever training took place is actually leading to tangible outcomes. And sometimes that's like how many widgets you make or like yeah. you know, how happy your customers are. But again, it all comes back down to the data on whether or not this training was working out for all of these employees. Cause at the end of the day, they're just employees. But again, it, it's the outcomes are a little bit easier. And sometimes, I don't know, with IO psychology, there's so many good like case studies and textbooks and case study, case study, and they're not lying <laughs> and they're not wrong, but they're so boring. And <laughs> they don't show the human impact of the workplace and the pride people take in their work. Yeah. And, you know, they had that whole job about how do you let a player go and how do you fire a player? And sure. There's something in IO that I really try to hit on when I teach it that we derive a lot of meaning from our work. And there's no such thing as a work self and a person self and a separate self anymore. And as an IO psychologist, you would have this power to make this important, meaningful aspect of a person's life run more smoothly, right? Mm -hmm. And again, that gets lost in very dry um, case studies that you can read about, like this is what happened at Sears or this is Lee Iacocca coming in and changing the way we make money, right? But yeah. this, I think, it doesn't get melodramatic. Although, I'll be honest, the whole subplot with his daughter. Oh, my was gosh. Was that necessary? And why couldn't she have been in, like, AP stats instead of, like, a gifted guitarist? Wouldn't yeah, she had, to make a, she had to make a song be sappy, call him a loser at the yeah. end of the movie and him right. be okay with that. It's funny because the characterization was really off for me because he already knew that he was a loser. 
Right. Um, and he didn't need his daughter to throw that back in. Maybe there was some unstated bond between them that I didn't. I wasn't getting from it. But yeah, that was my least favorite uh, aspect of the movie. That that sort of B plot, and then random uh, Robin Wright being his uh, ex wife. <laughs> right. What the? What a waste of Robin Wright. Do you realize how much more data they could have talked about if they had gotten rid of that like B plot, right? Mm, I know. Right? It, it, they could have been a brand montage. Right. Exactly. <laughs> As they he's could like have, talking like, from player to player. Maybe they could have done a service and just shown like the world how to make a pivot table. I don't know. It was lost. <laughs> Why not? Right. That would have been a That's great comedic moment. Right? That would have been a great comedic moment, actually, just in the montage, just uh, everyone crowded around <laughs> Peter. Well, and he's I have like, the Tigers playing in the background. Yes, just explaining <laughs> how Excel works. No audio, <laughs> you just see pointing, like stock footage. Oh, and, like, it would have been so great. every game, the pivot table changes with the new data. <laughs> and then David Justice would just put his hand on Brad Pitt's shoulder. Mm-hmm. They'd look into each other's eyes and yeah, see? Yeah, there would have been a great uh, we learned something moment. But we of course did. we didn't get that. We got a daughter, daddy daughter. He's um, a human being, subplot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um in in our notes for prepping this episode that um a, a Hercules Mulligan. Yes. And could you explain that a little bit more? Because I am interested in this. Okay, so on my very first day in stats, well, first I explain it's I teach psych stats, and that is the name of the class. But I have to be like, yeah. no, guys, it's just stats, stats. <laughs> it's it's for everybody. And I explained that I have no interest in like recruiting them to be psychology majors or recruiting them to be master statisticians. Mm -hmm. But I try to explain and reiterate and reiterate that they're going to be dealing with so much data in their lives and so many patterns that they need to uncover. And what they need to do is be really good at whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like I have lots and lots of nursing majors they are always in my ADM class. Right. Mm -hmm. But they are are in a unique position not to be a master statistician that can just do any data, but they need to be an expert in their field that can see patterns. Mm -hmm. So I try to explain like hypotheses might feel like hunches, but it really means that you're an expert in your field and you're noticing something that might be real. Right. Yeah. To try to draw on the youth, I bring in the musical Hamilton. There we go. There it is, and Hercules Mulligan, based on Hercules Mulligan, right? That's my go-to. If I had a walk-up song, it would be like his solo, right? Yes, that's a good yes. Or uh, Lafayette, Mm -hmm. right? That would also be okay. But before Excel, before even like Ari Fisher and all the eugenicist stats granddaddies right yep um he was noticing patterns at work where he was a tailor and he was working on uniforms and clothing for the british who are occupying new york city and because Mm -hmm. he was in a position where people would give him i need this job by this i need this job by this he could tell Mm -hmm. when different generals were leaving the area and when military actions were happening because of what he was overhearing 
So That's so cool. Right? So, and I try to explain, like, he wasn't, like, the stats guy, but he could see patterns, and you could be in a position of being an expert at whatever you're doing and noticing a pattern that could make the workplace better and save lives or do who knows what. I, it's yeah, and and thank you for sharing that because that's great, and uh, I'm going to steal it unashamedly. It. Yes, it. it's so good, and and um, I do like again. It was a stage play made into a recorded thing, so it's kind of like a movie. And Astro and I talked about it uh, a couple of years ago on the podcast because we we thought that it. it worked <laughs> but i love it because they uh they know about hamilton so they being our uh, 18 to 22 year old youths and uh, it's an easy quick explanation it actually ties back to american history it ties back also to like not all heroes wear capes right like sometimes mm-hmm. yep you know peter brands make plenty of money and hercules mulligan became a hero like it's weird where we think innovation comes from and where really amazing ideas come from. And really, sometimes it depends on having that subject matter expert in the room mm-hmm. who's watching things and offering a perspective that nobody else has thought of yet. Listen, man, I've been in this game a long time. I'm not in it for a record. I'll tell you that. I'm not in it for a ring. It's when people get hurt. If we don't win the last game of the series, they'll dismiss us. Bill. I know these guys, I know the way they think, and they will erase us. And everything we've done here, none of it will matter. Any other team wins the World Series, good for them. They're drinking champagne, they get a ring. But if we win, on our budget with this team. We'll change the game. And that's what I want. I want it to mean something. So my last question to you on the IO stuff has to do with, and I preface this in the last segment, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Uh, art, oh man, I'm, blanking on the uh, last name of the manager. But in any case, Art. Uh, and Art is the on-field f- on manager of the, the, so the head coach for all you non-baseball people. Uh, and he wasn't putting Billy and, and Peter's plan in place. And I'm curious what the IO aspects of a non-compliant employee not at the bottom of the food chain or necessarily the top of the food chain, but somewhere in the middle where the you're not getting the outcomes that you want because there's that, I don't know, we'll, squeaky wheel, bent cog, that kind of thing. What, what, what ass, let me ask this another way. Um, what can we say about art's characterization in the movie? Well, it's nice because we often talk about bad leaders as evil people, and he wasn't, 
right? Mm -hmm. He just had his own way of doing things, but they tried to retrain him and they tried to retrain him and it just wasn't working. And it's upsetting when they had to let him go. Spoiler alert. But they (laughs) eventually did that, right? Yeah. And I think that's a good demonstration that he wasn't the right leader for that situation. And that gets back to the bigger cultural change that was occurring at the A's, right? Mm-hmm. And he was pushing back against it, and it was upsetting when he left. But I think history kind of proved it correct because everyone else adopted this way of using the data and looking more strongly at let's just get people on bases. And once people get on bases, and more people get on bases, mm-hmm. then we win a game. Um, so I like that he was a leader that wasn't evil, but I think that it's also telling that if you're looking at it from an IO perspective, they tried to retrain him, mm-hmm. they tried to work with him. And it didn't work out. Um, And if you would want to go even further, you could say that in some ways, like, was he sabotaging the team by not going along with the rules? Yeah, that was Um, that was the subtext of my question. (laughs) Yeah. And that's something that gets studied a lot, um, like antisocial behavior at work Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, So when people don't feel like they're being treated well. They try to even the score one way or another. Yeah. And the reason why I I asked that is because before, right before Peter is introduced to the rest of the, the scouting and coach staff, Art complains about not having more than a one-year contract. And so I'm curious if they set that up to be him sabotaging Or maybe not sabotaging, but him just doing some kind of negligence. Well, equity theory gets talked about in workplace. And equity theory is the one that looks at if things don't feel equitable, especially um, in comparison to how you're being treated versus how other employees are being treated, you even it out some way or another. Sometimes that involves, and this is a very IO term, counterproductive work behaviors, Mm -hmm. which can be everything from like, peeing in the office coffee pot to like again (laughs) that character not doing what he was supposed to it can be sabotage it can be Mm. abusing sick leave like there's a lot of different things and you could see him slowly disengaging from the workplace right and that's Mm -hmm. another thing about employee engagement and he just was not engaged anymore it was going in a different direction and he wasn't living and breathing it it wasn't meaningful to him because he didn't have the amount of autonomy and autonomy is another topic and again i like that he's not evil like you can see he doesn't have autonomy anymore you can see that his payment schedule was leaving him to not feel certain about his future. And people mm-hmm. don't work well when they're not certain about their future. Right. His work role was changing. Like there's a lot to go into. Of course he was fired. Of course, this is what it all came down to. If you look at a lot of employee motivational theories and why his motivation was being sapped away from him. Okay. I like how you characterize that again. I, I think it's, comes all the way back to how you first characterized him, which was more of a negative character, but not evil. Mm -mm. No, Um, and he was hired to be the boss guy of the players and he wasn't mm -hmm. allowed to. Yeah, I I think that is a good way of putting it and um, shows you how the model shifted from the manager being like the person in charge back in the day and then shifting to a more business model when players started demanding higher and it became, you know, I've got to do all of these business transactions. 
So you needed a business minded person rather than a baseball minded person because differences there. So, yeah. All right. And uh, RIP to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I wanted to see him in more stuff for sure. <sighs> Too soon. Even though it's been a while. Was there anything else in the movie that uh, you just wanted everyone to know, Jess? The book is really good. <laughs> the book helps you think through stats as a way of solving problems. And I know I'm a more enthused baseball fan than I was when I read the book a couple of years ago, but it's still interesting just to think about how do we operationalize these problems? Where do you find the IVs? Where do you find the DVs? Um, and also, it almost feels like a challenge of, okay, if this works in baseball, what other settings could this help out in, right? Mm -hmm. And it also, I think, would open up, okay, well, what if we just let a computer lead the way and a computer make all these choices? Where would bias get baked into this system? Like, oh, where yeah. would, especially with, I mean, baseball is quite ethnically diverse. It would be interesting to see if you just blindly put in the data what it would say to do i can't even speculate on what that would be like but it would be interesting to see and be able to talk about like if we did just ai at all what could go wrong that way and where would the <laughs> the shortcut right uh and it's it would human, right like with the refs going away and maybe they'll be better but maybe they won't be better you know like what if home field advantage was always like this subtle thing that refs are doing and that is like baked in or taken away it's maybe interesting um i to add the note that i wanted to end on here was uh because you've been playing with chat gpt recently um and i've seen there's a subreddit called anarchy chess and a lot of people are playing chat gpt uh in chess so what they do is they put their moves and then they ask ChatGPT for the their as black or white or whatever what their move would be, and eventually, uh, so the first part of these games pretty normal starting moves for it, and then eventually, ChatGPT just starts making up its own rules and moving pieces how they're not supposed to be moved. Uh, one guy posted that uh, the his post was called I checkmated chat GPT and he did and it didn't care and moved <laughs> and moved again. Oh, so yes, that's what's going to happen if AI takes over our baseball games. It's going to be like that was a foul ball or great bunt. And then, you know, the ball hadn't even been hit. <laughs> Take your base. Right. You've been hit. Wait, the ball wasn't even next near me. Hit by pitch. Take your base. <laughs> oh, it'd be so good. It's going to be real interesting when it goes wrong. And then if like anyone disagrees with the ref, then like all the lights in the stadium are cut. Yeah. <laughs> right. You may not exit. Nope. Mm -mm. Well, I want to thank Dr. Jess Hartnett for joining me to discuss Moneyball. Before we say goodbye, Jess, is there anything that you'd like to plug? A blog, maybe? Where, A blog, maybe? My, my <laughs> where not can awful folks, and terrible ideas. 
find out your work. Yes. No, for they're not awful. The yeah, for teaching the stats. What is the blog? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> I just go to it. It's Blogger. It is powered by Blogger. Mm-hmm. Not awful and boring ideas for teaching statistics. That is the full name. And I will link that in the show notes so you can get to not awful and boring. I think mm-hmm. and and is written a and d dot blogspot mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Dot com. So you can find all. Oh my god, so many good examples. So many good examples. I... If you are a stats lover, a stats aficionado, a stats student, a stats teacher. A stats adjacent person, which is everyone. Which is everyone. Um, and it's not so visible if you visit on a phone, but if you visit on a computer, I do go out of the way to tag all of the posts. So if you are stats hesitant or agnostic, you can go and sort by topic and look for examples yes. that might help you out. Exactly. Right? Uh, that and that's a great thing about running it as a blog because there's all of that archiving yeah. and and tagging and uh, exactly. categorizing that you can do. Mm-hmm. And then you are uh, active on Twitter. So what is your what is your at? not awful at not awful <laughs> one word? Yes, and yes. I know Twitter. I don't know where that's going or if it's even going to be around by the time this this is aired. Uh, but I am there fighting the good fight and with mm-hmm. my stats nerds and sharing very silly stats things all the time. Um, a lot of stuff that's maybe too small to belong to its own blog post, um, but it's really introduced me to tons and tons of people and it's been so good for my career. Yes, that is how we connected mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. even before the uh, Facebook because you don't actually I don't you don't use your last name. Um, so I didn't actually make the connection for to Facebook and the STP Facebook group and Twitter until I like looked at the pictures, I guess. I was like, <laughs> wait. <laughs> and then I saw that you were friends with, you know, mutual friends. And I was like, oh, th- th- this is the same person. So I will link the blog. I will link your Twitter. Please find her. She is amazing. Thanks again for joining me to discuss Moneyball, Jess. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Alex. You bet. That's going to do it for this episode. Until the next one, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.